and welcome to episode 16 of the figure podcast each week we figure out people numbers and images of the past present and future hosted by georgia parkin and charlotte Lorimer. Shah, what have you been up to this week it's been a while since we recorded uh thank you by the way just before we start to uh, uh, everyone's feedback um on the last episode it was it was absolutely amazing we loved recording with gina and we had some so really great people write to us with lots of comments and it was great so thank you so much yes and more exciting guests coming up absolutely and yeah thank you to gina for mm. and thank you to us. everyone who left a rating um that really helps us out so thank you so much yes yeah, so this week uh has been a busy one as usual even though it was a four day week last week it felt like it was an eight day week mm. uh had some really fun things at work we had a starling quiz which was really really brilliant did i tell you about that i feel like i haven't even spoken to you this week as well which has also been strange i know i've been aware to be fair yes yeah you have yeah we'll talk about that because i want to hear more about what you did uh so yeah my team came second which was exciting by one what kind of questions in the quiz were really you, hard. We upset about a second. No, I wasn't. Okay. The only one. <laughs> we only won. We only lost by one point. No, that's. And fine. the final question was: I want to hear what you would say on this. Okay. okay. How many cars are there in the UK? Oh my god, that's a really hard question. It's really hard, because, right? Because you think about Londoners, some of them don't have cars, mm-hmm. and then you think some families have two cars. Yep. I would go with sixty million. Yeah, so we went lower than that, but I thought, considering population and everything, the answer is 32 million. 32 million! So this, it's not as high as you think it would be. No, not at all. I, I would say it was similar so to anyway, population size. So anyway, it was questions size. like okay. that. And it was That's also, a good fun fact to kick us was, off. It was a good fun fact. And uh, yeah, it was, also, it was just full of fun facts. It was a great quiz. Great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but it has been very busy. And on Monday, I had a really lovely evening where I just came home and I cooked myself a really lovely meal and I had a bath and I watched The Calendar Girls, which is my new favourite feel-good film with all of the best British actresses, Helen Mirren, Judy Walters, Celia Emery, Penelope Wilton. And it's just really upbeat and really uplifting. And I think it has a really great message because it's women who may not be so confident about the way that they look anymore as older women they're all kind of in their 50s at the time of the filming and essentially the plot is that they raise money for one of the character's husbands who's died of cancer Mm. and so they're raising money for the hospital and they do a calendar a naked calendar and it's just so funny question and fun fact for any listeners and Mm -hmm. i cannot believe i'm about to reveal this okay have you ever been in a naked calendar no, I haven't. Have you ever been in a I naked calendar? I have been in a naked calendar. <laughs> Claire, if you're listening, that was a great day. <laughs> I've been it? working on marrow all day. And you need art. to explain what marrow okay, is. So basically, Medsoc at the uni... So Medsoc, firstly, at Plymouth, were amazing. Best society, amazing friends. Um, anyway, every year they do a naked calendar to raise money for Devonair Ambulance. And Arthur was president at the time and was having to organise the calendar. And obviously all the boys in his house were like, yeah, of course we'll do it. (laughs) And Claire had done it the year before and so had Molly. Molly was unavailable and they were finding difficult to find girls. And I just went, hell 
no, there is no way you're making me do a naked calendar. Are you, are you being serious? And um, long story short, been doing Marrow all day. Marrow is um, this amazing charity. It's the student branch of Anthony Lowden, and we basically recruit people to join the bone marrow register so that people who have leukemia and other blood cancers can find matches um, and get transplants. Uh, so I'd been on my feet all day, and I, I was kind of a bit like, oh, you know that feeling when you come back from work and you just want a glass of wine and yeah. just to like chill out or like have some fun or not have some fun that sounds really weird but like <laughs> just do something fun do something fun just so do something fun so that's what you did so you Claire, did Claire was just like it. she was like gee trust me it's really fine it's really fun it's obviously not like weird like this is just a uni <laughs> naked calendar we're doing it in LSRC which is this basically rooms in the medical school that have all these like body parts all over it <laughs> nice. it was hilarious the first few minutes were a bit weird and I, I I was like no one is ever in here has ever seen me in my underwear or less this is really weird and then literally after 10 minutes no one cared and most of the time you know you had underwear on so it wasn't actually naked yeah um and you couldn't see anything fully yeah. but it was just the you know, it was just, it wasn't, so it wasn't at all explicit, but, mm. but the actual, the boys had all the explicit stuff, yeah. whereas the girls so didn't. There's a really funny scene in this I can't believe film. I just said that on the podcast. <laughs> no, I think that's Crap. great. I don't think I've ever heard that full story. I don't think my family well. know either. That's brilliant. Well, now they do. Um, if they listen. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a really good scene in this film where they've got a male photographer and he's quite you know, they, they've had to persuade him that all these Yorkshire women who are you know, in their 50s and wanting to raise money for cancer, and he's, you know, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so he sets up the shot, and he's really thought about it, it's really arty, and it's really great, and, but they don't want him to see them naked. So he basically sets it up, goes out of the room, and then he's trying to... <laughs> shout instructions from outside the room and eventually they're just like this is ridiculous get in here but it's just it's so so great and a quote that I really love which sort of inspires the whole thing from my husband who's passed away is the flowers of Yorkshire are like the women of Yorkshire every stage of their growth is has its own beauty but the last phase is always the most glorious that's lovely and then they quickly go to seed is how that finishes <laughs> Well, what have you been up to this week? So my week consisted of walking the Thames path. Now, this is to note was not the entire Thames path because the entire Thames path from the Thames barrier to the source is 184 miles. And where is the Thames source? Uh, Gloucestershire. Okay. North of Oxford. And the Thames barrier is? East London. Right. Um, and my friend Maggie and I managed to see a lot of each other this summer, which was good. And every time we saw each other, we were like, we're going to do an activity. And neither of us have a lot of money. So we thought, what is good that's fun, free, and we can spend a lot of time together? And that happened to be camping and walking. And I didn't really know that the Thames Path was a thing. But people walk the Thames Path all the time. Um, It's a great route. It's very clearly marked out. But you do feel like you're in the wilderness a bit. And we literally went from Richmond to Windsor Castle in two days we did 55 kilometers in total i thought we had done longer than that actually but i recalculated is it really like being in the wilderness yeah because the like thames Scotland looks the thames the thames looks like a stream once you get past a certain point oh really that's mm-hmm. so interesting okay mm. would never have thought that really narrow there's no tide anymore it's just, it's beautiful literally doesn't look anything like the thames you see in the city um and it's really great because actually th- very often there'll be pubs and 
you know, people around. So you're not too isolated. Um, and it was really good fun. I really recommend it. I think every time we meet up in the holidays now, we're going to do another section of the path. And what were the most interesting things that you walked past? Um, Hampton Court Palace. That was beautiful. Cool. Um, also Runnymede. We went to see the site of the Magna Carta and the JFK Memorial um, and kind of the birthplace of democracy because that's where, you know, when a jury was created through Bad King John in 1213, I believe. Um, and obviously Windsor Castle was beautiful. Windsor, I hadn't been to Windsor in ages. And it's I've never lovely. been. It's really, really lovely. It feels like you've kind of gone back in time a bit because it's a sort of small town surrounding mm. a castle and the castle looks so perfect. It looks fake. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Yeah, it's really lovely. And something I wanted to ask you, because I feel like whenever you go walking with anyone that you get on well with, you always have really interesting conversations. So what was the most interesting conversation that you had with Maggie over your two days of walking? About boys. <laughs> um, Other than boys. Um, well, no, we just talked about re- like relationships in general. Relationships, parents, friends, life, what we'd be doing in 10 years, what we were doing in five years, what we were doing five years ago, all the friends that we had made in the last five years. And I think there are so many, and I can't believe how much my life has changed in that time. Mm. Um, we're kind of just reflecting on that and talking about our families and just how much we love spending time together. Um, But she never likes to get too soppy about it. She always just (laughs) calls me out on it. Um, But it was really, really, really good fun. And then we went back um, and I hung out in New Malden and we had lots of Korean food, which was amazing. And we watched a documentary called A Plastic Ocean um, on Netflix and it kind of reinvigorated me to start really trying hard again to watch my plastic and watch my single weight you know single use stuff and fast fashion and all of that um she also is building a capsule wardrobe so she's got very few items of clothing and she gets everything from charity shops as well right um she gets she gets things from charity shops but she's also going to get really good quality clothing discounted and buying it once and then using it for, for years, for years, which I think is the most sustainable way of doing it. Mm. Um, and also going to charity shops, but you can't find absolutely everything that you need in a charity no, shop. Exactly. You, know, you can find a lot, but you know you do need those longevity items. And the discussion with Gina last week was so interesting on plastic and how much plastic there is in fashion, and I had no idea right? about nothing. This. So I never thought of the environmental impact of buying from a charity shop. I always just thought, oh, it's a charity shop, it's great. You know, you're not wasting clothes and you're giving money to charity but I never thought of that in terms of plastic Mm, absolutely um and I've also started um a book called 21 lessons for the 21st century by Yuval Harari who wrote Sapiens and Homodeus I can't wait to read it and it's great I'm only about 50 or 60 pages in so and the other book that I can't wait to read is The Guilty Feminist by Deborah Francis White which has just come out and I'm going to go to Waterstones tomorrow to buy it. I also still haven't finished This Is Going To Hurt because I have about 30 or 40 pages and I just don't want to finish it because I don't want it to end because it's so funny. The first figure this week is an individual who has been in the news um, because they passed away recently and that is John McCain and I was actually really sad when I heard about his death, mainly because I watch his daughter, Meghan McCain, on The View almost every day or every other day. Um, 
and she's always talking about her dad and always talking about cancer and glioblastoma and other people who are close to me have relatives who are also suffering from glioblastoma and um, one of my mother's friends also passed away recently and over the last year and a half I'd been really learning more about John McCain and the work that he did and why it was so important especially in this sort of Trump era and how he is very very uh passionate about reminding everyone what are America's values even though I don't know similarly to Britain I feel people just Mm. have forgotten them um which is interesting because I think that part of Trump's campaign has been around making America great again yeah inverted commas and I just love that part of Megan's eulogy Megan's eulogy about that and she says America was always great yeah and it and it was it was it was the birthplace of democracy, so to speak. Actually, freedom link, of speech. Li- linking this into the intro a little, um, when we went to Runnymede, the Magna Carta is actually where the Americans cite the origin of freedom of speech. Maggie and I went and touched the memorial, um, and that's what they cite as the origin because Magna Carta was basically about you know creating a jury, which had not been seen before, and everyone was tried, mm-hmm. um, and that was more that was freedom of speech. So. Mm. anyway back to John McCain and I just think that his life is absolutely fascinating I always knew he was a prisoner of war but I didn't really understand what that meant until looking into him and I didn't realize that he was born on a naval base I didn't know that he was from a naval family he was the son of an admiral and that that became part of the prisoner of war story as well Mm -hmm. because when they found out that he was the son of an admiral they thought that they could arrange something where he was released and that would become a coup and he decided that he wouldn't do that unless every single prisoner of war was released yeah and he was tortured and kept prisoner of war for five years broke both of his arms and his knee in the crash which then led to him being captured yeah and i've really enjoyed reading more and learning more about him and i wish i'd known more about him when he was alive actually that was my overriding feeling of this of i actually didn't really appreciate him much Mm. while he was alive. And actually, I sadly think that one of the only times I really paid too much attention to McCain, other than the last year and a half where I've been following Meghan, was the presidential election against Obama, of which he lost by 10 million votes, because Obama was hope and change, first black president, and of of course, you know, was Obama and all of that, his Mm. glory. Mm. Um, But I didn't really see McCain, like I just didn't... You didn't see him as a contender. I just didn't. It wasn't really on my radar. And then Mitt Romney was even less so. And then and then it was actually something Meghan McCain said on The View, which is like, everyone keeps knocking all these Republican candidates, but eventually someone's going to come out and really be a threat. And that ended up being Trump. So the weak obituary was really, really good. And it opened up some different ideas. Um, firstly, on the Obama campaign where he was up against him, I've never... I didn't realise how moral a politician could be. I know, neither did I. Um, and this is not to say that there aren't things wrong with John McCain. He's a very... He's quite a divisive character, I think, in many ways. He's he's known as a maverick, and he's also known to um, always speak his mind. Yeah. And he's very... He can be very headstrong and very passionate. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. He, you know, and have really, really huge disagreements with people. But I think the key with John McCain is it's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's about policy. Yeah, and just when that woman who said that 
Obama was an Arab and that she couldn't trust him. And McCain's response is literally just to take the microphone one from her and say, no ma'am, he is a decent family man yeah. who I happen to have disagreements with and this is why we're doing this campaign yeah. and I think that it's so missing in so many ways in our society now that we are putting down people all the time and that Absolutely. that's the way that competition is happening when really it can be two choices and they can both be valid choices for different people and you don't have to knock everybody else in order to get ahead Absolutely, and it's so opposite to the current president that we Absolutely. have in the White House. Absolutely. And the way that he's handled Trump has, I just really love it. Everything yeah. that everything that I've read with McCain kind of versus Trump and how the Obamacare, um, that whole thing collapsing, essentially rested on one vote. And that one vote was John McCain. And that was nine days after he was diagnosed, I believe, with glioblastoma. And I think he had just had surgery and it was in the early hours of the morning and um, he voted against... Uh, the repeal of the Obamacare and that rested on him and he went against against a lot of people in his party obviously about against Trump Trump has never forgiven him for that yeah um, but then later on down the line there was another decision and lots of elements of Obamacare from what I understand were changed as mm -hmm. a result of John McCain so there's this mm -hmm. kind of paradox yeah. and that was the title of the daily episode right on <laughs> yes really good yeah the paradoxes of John McCain yeah was a great episode and really interesting on Sarah Palin. Really interesting on Sarah Palin because Sarah Palin. So I remember Sarah Palin. My mom used to say, "Oh my God, she's literally doesn't know what she's talking about." She's great, but they. I can see why they chose her as a candidate because they were looking for someone who was going to help him compete with the Obama campaign, and they couldn't just choose another white male. Mm -hmm. They went for a you know, slightly mm -hmm. unknown female. And actually when she was his running mate and announced, I think it was his highest points in the polls at that point. But he still lost by an astronomical amount. That's yeah. true. But what um, I thought was very interesting was one uh, journalist, David Brooks, said that in choosing Sarah Palin and having her as a running mate and all of the the speeches and the mistakes and things that she made... John McCain inadvertently paved the way for Trump taking the center stage because mm. for David Brooks, he thinks that Sarah Palin made in anti-intellectualism and disrespect for facts and put that into the center of politics. And then she this did, is what yeah. we've got with Trump who yeah. seems to just make up things regard, like depending on who he's speaking to. Yeah. Without fact checking or yeah. respecting facts in that way. Um, but yeah, no, he, and also I think McCain's legacy was always that he was not afraid to challenge people in his own party. Mm -hmm. um, and he, you know, would support, I think he supported um, several nominees for President Clinton's um, Supreme Court. Um, and obviously he was Democrat. And so basically I, I just liked that his politics was always about doing the right thing and what was the right thing. Especially on torture. Especially on torture. And I didn't realise this either until I read, was reading all of his obituaries and eulogies. I didn't realise that he had spent his life campaigning that America should not use torture mm -hmm. in any regard mm -hmm. at all. Um, and also... And the, is it water? Even for it called? waterboarding. Waterboarding. Waterboarding is still, is, is and they still are, used. And they think the people he was campaigning against were arguing that it isn't torture. Yeah, they were arguing we, it's not torture and he was basically like, 
it, it was torture because that happened to me, um, among other things. He also could never lift either of his arms above 80 degrees because of the injury sustained from his torture. He also could never comb his hair. Oh my God, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and his first wife was also disabled when in a car crash. Yeah. And when he got back from Vietnam, she was disabled. And I yeah. think he left her a few years later for somebody else. Yeah, Cindy, who which, he, who's Megan's mum. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so he first actually announced that he was running for president um, in September of 99, um, again, like against George W. Bush, um, and was unsuccessful um, for the candidate. Um, but he did then eventually pledge his support for Bush and asked Bush to, you know... Speak at his Speak at his funeral. funeral. Um, several months in advance. Several months in advance. And he also... And Obama. And Obama. And Joe Biden. Yep. And um, as Obama says in his eulogy, what a brilliant <laughs> last laugh that he's got all of his um, contenders saying <laughs> lovely things about him after he's gone. Absolutely. Um, he did, however support the war in Afghanistan after the 9-11 attacks but then mm-hmm. withdrew his support mm-hmm. after a few years when he realised that that actually wasn't um, that he didn't believe in it anymore and also any time he's asked about Trump and serving in the military um, there was a great interview I saw with him that um, a lot of people apparently when the Vietnam War conscription was happening that a lot of people who were well off would go to their doctor and their doctor would write a note saying that they had migraines or they had collapsed arches or whatever mm. and i think trump had some excuse i think it was shin splints or something um and he was drafted three times and every time trump got his doctor to write a letter and then obviously made those comments about john mccain about him being a prisoner of war and he prefers his heroes who aren't captured yes and john mccain said you know this is not about me um, criticizing Trump, we just need to make sure that all of those people that are captured know that their country is proud of them. And it wasn't until he said that that I truly realized the how awful, tr- like what, like the lack of compassion. Oh, and, it was just disgusting. Yeah. Like absolutely disgusting. Like think of how many men have been captured and tortured as prisoner of wars, mm. prisoner of war, and yet the president of the United States is just flippantly saying, I prefer heroes. Mm. Anyway. But yeah, the sort of very subtle way in which he he fought back against Trump and mm. the final one being that he wasn't invited to the memorial and that he put Obama and Bush in the front row. So it was very clear that the other presidents were mm. present. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think as well, hearing um, McCain's eulogies... Um, it kind of reminded me what America is supposed to be about and what it was originally about when its father, founding fathers, you know, first established this free world. And mm-hmm. I think that along with Britain and Brexit, we just are so lost in all of this political fighting and this Trump and this all of the, you, you know, negotiations with Brussels. And I just think that, wow, at least that we took time to really look back and honor this person who served america for 60 years and i also saw an interview where he said that i he said i am the luckiest person alive you will never find another person as lucky as i am and i just thought that was really lovely mm. because actually that's what we all need as humans to realize is every day we wake up we're alive you know we have a purpose we have a drive and we are so lucky for what we have and i think that he definitely emanated that yeah i thought I it agree. was really moving i agree 
One final thing that I wanted to talk about, because I feel like I don't know enough about it, can you outline the differences between Democrats and Republicans? There are many differences between the Democrats and the Republican parties. I think at its core, the Republican Party is much more about individual rights, freedom, individual freedoms, and individual responsibility, whereas the Democrats see it more as a sort of community, social responsibility, equality, that everyone is kind of responsible for each other. Can you compare it to Conservative versus Labour? <clears throat> I feel like it's much more extreme okay. in America. Um, for example, so there are several categories in which that kind of equates to. For example, in terms of... Um, kind of economics and tax. Democrats believe in minimum wage, they believe in progressive taxation and higher tax rates for higher income brackets, and they're anti-federalist. Whereas the Republican Party thinks that um, wages should be set by the free market, so supply and demand, and that taxes should not be increased for anyone. Um, there's always a kind of stereotype with the Republican voter, I suppose, as there is in the UK with a Conservative voter, that Republican voters, some of the very extreme ones, are very kind of, I don't know, maybe dated in their thinking. And that they tend to be against gay marriage, uh, they don't believe in abortion, they're pro-death penalty. But actually, those sorts of very controversial issues, I think, are more and more blurred now i don't think that you can necessarily say that there's a definite trend i think there there's there's true on both sides and actually when we spoke about abortion in one of our previous episodes we then spoke about actually how it was the republican party that passed roe v wade initially um so in terms of military spending again democrats don't believe in that a lot of money should be spent on military they also don't believe that um that healthcare should be privatized they think that it's a basic human right and it should be universal whereas the republicans tend to think that government regulations hinder free market capitalism and job growth and that actually privatizing healthcare would be much more efficient and um i think it's just generally republicans believe that less government regulation the better um republican party was also founded by anti-slavery activists um, and was established in 1854. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, because they were against the British, obviously the British founded slavery, um, and they were opposed to that. That was a question I got right in the in the quiz about Boston being um, with the Tea Party. Yeah, you know, Boston like Tea all Party. Of, all of the tea coming to Boston, mm. and they said it was some kind of port in America, and I was like, yeah, Boston, know this one. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is some fun facts. So the... Uh, symbol for the Democratic Party is a donkey. Symbol for the Republicans is an elephant. And the leader of the Democratic Party is a man named Chuck Schumer, who I believe is the uncle of Amy Schumer. Oh, really? Oh, God, mm. okay. And the leader of the Republican Party is Mitch McConnell. Um, and I think within the Republican Party at the moment, you can see a huge divide, which is what we spoke about just now with John McCain and Trump. And also with the Democratic Party, this also divides there. Mm. But Well, um, I think all political parties are being divided all over the world. You've got exactly the same with Labour at the moment. Yeah. The second figure that we're going to be talking about today is that tablet computers are used in 70% of schools. 
and this is quite an old statistic I think from 2014 mm. so four years on I'd be really interested to see where that number has moved to especially mm. because in the research they said that 45% of schools that didn't have tablets would be introducing them soon yeah so I think it's a really I don't know how I feel about this I have really mixed feelings because in some ways I think it's is it a, an amazing educational tool? In other ways, I think, is it giving children yet more exposure to screens and technology? And are we going to lose some of the human interaction that you and me would have had constantly at school? But then I also think, did you see that fil- that video where it was showing what cars looked like in the Victorian era and what they look like now yeah. and what photographs looked like yeah. then and now and then what schools looked like then and now and they were yeah. all, the- it was literally the same. Yeah. So how do you feel generally about the use of iPads and tablets and technology in schools? I think that it would be naive for us to not assume that that's exactly where education is going. Completely. Ed tech is a huge... I think up and coming industry, obviously, um, you know, same with health tech, fintech, obviously we talk about yeah. that a lot. Um, I think ed tech is, is definitely going to be one of those categories. I don't know if that will be in the form of tablets or, I don't know, a virtual space or I don't know how that's going to manifest itself necessarily. Virtual reality, that could be really cool. Virtual reality, virtual schools. Mm-hmm. I think more in the immediate future, um, for example, like our kids' generation, um, I, you know, you see young kids now, they can unlock a phone at, you know, age one and a half. Yep. Screens are very normal to them. Even helping my mum out with some of her work things, I can't understand why she doesn't understand grasp it. certain uh, methods of doing things. Like, literally, if it's, I don't know, hyperlinking an image was a real problem we had last week. But we've grown up just you know playing with these and it's computers. just intuitive it's very intuitive for... but it's the same with tablets yeah um i also think in terms of learning you know we're going to have algorithms that come out that are going to be able to you know tailor to students specific needs they're going to be able to be updated centrally mm. you know the national curriculum that's mm-hmm. going to be able to be controlled centrally and then given out electronically and it'll it'll become much more regulated and automated um again really good insight from the book I'm reading by Yuval Harari on that um do I think people may forget how to write potentially I can't imagine not do doing a levels we'll, not we'll handwritten to, yeah do you think that we'll get to a stage where that's not the primary focus of your your early years but maybe you don't need to handwrite to learn how to write people can write on you know a computer now and write beautifully that's true I think touch typing should have been taught in, in schools. So I hope I that it, it is now. I had it taught in schools. I definitely didn't. Yeah, I was Although I learned typing. how to do it because I wrote so many essays in sixth form that mm. by that point... I oh, by just, sixth form, you, I you knew, just know. I knew my keyboard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And actually, I was remembering that my brother, when he, he's always up on his tech, he's always got the latest thing. I've never mm. actually had an iPad. I don't really feel like I need one. Mm. But he loved it and he would bring it into schools. And his teachers reflected that he would be concentrating more on his classes when he had his iPad and he was writing his notes on his iPad rather than handwriting them. I think because there was just, there was something more exciting about it for him. So I guess that's something where he was more engaged through technology. Mm. But then 
I don't think that you can ignore the the fact that we don't really know what the impact is. We have no idea what the impact is. And I don't know if it was... I think it was the week unwrapped I was listening to about um, the effects of Wi-Fi. Because there's actually no way of studying what the effects of Wi-Fi are because you can't and control signals. any of the variables. Because you can't literally put someone in a room in a box with nothing as your control and then put someone in a room with a box with just a phone and then someone in a box with just wi-fi and then someone <laughs> and then take away all their genetic you know yeah, material so they yeah. don't have any way of getting cancer otherwise there's just no way of controlling it and controlling their diet and controlling the exercise um although maggie when we were on our walk um did tell me about this experiment that was done in 2014 by some swedish uh ninth graders um and it was on watercress and they had two rooms kept the con- the control var- i guess control variables of temperature water and light and they put a wi-fi uh box right next to the watercress in one room and across the other room in the other room and the f- image is absolutely startling i haven't shown you but you're going to be so shocked when i do um because the one with the wi-fi next to it's dead didn't Whoa. grow. Yeah, dead. And the other one is growing. That's really interesting. And scientists were so baffled by this very simple experiment by these ninth graders because they had actually not want to be able to come up with anything that could show you just the stark reality mm. of that. But it's kind of like I always think of it as just being near a microwave. Mm. It was being frazzled mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. Well, actually, that was covered in um, Jamila Jamil's amazing podcast yeah, and interview, which we'll be talking about in the next section as well. Um, that we're getting to a point where children know more than adults do yeah. because they are so connected yeah. and they can Google and look up things. And But that's the other thing, that they can, they're exposed to not-so-nice things through technology, mm. which previously to that, you'd have to go quite actively looking for it. And now you can't avoid it. It's just everywhere. And especially with things like Instagram and all of this, like there is... There are very toxic things mm. that can be on various different platforms. And researchers from Oxford and Imperial have recommended that under six-year-olds should be banned from using technology. Yeah, that's hard to do. Really hard to do. But there is an app that uh, can detect different swipes of adults and children. No it's really way. Interesting. And then you can set on the app what you want to be blocked that's so cool. Really interesting. But then I think that a ban, that's not thats not the way forward. And also, let's not forget... To is it? I was banned the... of all sorts of things as kids. Maybe that is... Like, how else are we going to police it? Mm. Maybe policing... But you can't, hard. really. And then you can't have... I mean, technology is the future in work really and is. in everything. Apparently... So you can't... Yeah. No, you no. You can't have no, it's people true. where you don't have it. But then how do we find some kind of balance where you are having more playing outside and Mm. i don't know just more well by 2035 apparently wi-fi is going to become a basic human need um which is interesting and i was actually talking to my friend molly on the phone earlier and she's reading a book at the moment she said that actually more people have access to wi-fi and roaming than they do clean water um wow and that's really startling and it's because it's because people, there is a demand for it. Um, Arthur at the moment is in Sierra Leone. And I have perfect connection with him. He just bought a SIM card with 4G. Yeah. And he's able to, you know, he's literally in the middle 
of next to nowhere and is able to yeah you know yeah. go on whatsapp and facebook and all these it's just crazy that yeah. the world is sort of so connected mm-hmm. um in that way and i don't think that the answer is to, to ban young children from not it not at all and there are so many brilliant things about technology because that is how but we're, but we're gonna have so our children are gonna have those grandparents who are going to be trying to ban everything from they're just going to be like, oh gosh, I can't believe this, yeah. this person has an iPad at four or, you know, but there are interactive games and there are all sorts of things, you know, it's just a different way of learning, it's a different yeah. way of living and that's how everyone is going to, that's how all of society is going to be, not mm-hmm. just for young people. Mm-hmm. Um, are you grateful that we grew up without technology to the same extent? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to ever say no because that's, you know, I don't know what would happen to me today if that had been the case. Um, but, you know, our kids are going to have something different. They're going to grow up with their own thing and they're probably going to say to their kids, oh, I'm so glad I didn't grow up with X, Y, Z. We just don't That's know what true. that is That's yet. That's true. Could be real virtual also... homes and virtual schools. Yeah. Can you also remember the first um, piece of technology that you had, like, interactions with or something? Yeah, what was iPod. the most exciting thing? Yeah, iPod. iPod Classic we got from America black and white big silver thing um they sell for hundreds and hundreds of pounds on ebay now because they're so rare because they're so retro and they're so great the battery life is amazing yeah they are amazing um and i would just try and get the new ipod as much as i could every christmas i would ask for a new ipod um i loved it yeah it was amazing I used to pretend that mum was a phone. <laughs> yeah, I think we all... I just... I remember playing with my friends and... Speaking of phones, I think everything was, was a phone when I was younger. I was so... revolved around the iPod. I just all so of the, wanted a phone. The mums and dads, like, playing all the make-believe, it all revolved around the iPod. The phone. <laughs> Did you also feel like you really wanted a, ca- a bank card or a credit card? I felt no, like but that. I felt like I wanted a car. Like, the first time I got my bank card, it was like a cash card when I was 16, I thought, Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. Can you put it in the credit card machine? Yeah. The final thing that I wanted to talk about is the creativity of mm. technology and coding. Yes. Because I don't think I fully appreciated this until I did a series of interviews of people that I work with at Starling about how they feel about coding and being able to code. Mm. And lots of them said that there is so so much exciting creativity behind it because if they can think of something and then they can just build it yeah it's really really amazing that you can use technology in that way and on coding um part of the reason that we're talking about this this week is obviously everybody's going back to school and we thought it's an interesting time to ref- reflect on that kind of september schools what's their education going to be like but also because of a charity called code your future who are the charity of the month and they are teaching refugees how to code. Caveat. Um, will AI be able to code for us in the future? Probably. Opinion. Ooh. Um, but, but you need something behind the AI. I'm on like, a serious AI. Oh, do we? I mean, do we? They can, <laughs> beat, they can beat humans in chess now. Yeah, I, that was a big moment. Um, I think what the most successful is a human AI team, but once they learn how to code one thing, surely it's just a series of patterns for mm. something else. You know, surely you can just buy a code sequence somewhere and then someone else, can, like mm. the machine, can literally just code it for you. Interesting. Sorry, I, I, put, I put that spanner in the works there, but that's something to think about because actually about. that's a very but real I think reality. That 
ultimately there is an element of human creativity which can go into technology, into painting, handwriting, mm. whatever it is, that technology is never going to be able to recreate. And that's what mm. I really love. And um, just that as technology moves forward, we can be more human and make more mistakes and make more beautiful things that only a human can do and communicate in a way that you can't replicate and you can't program, you can't teach. I find Such that quite exciting as well. What do you think are those sorts of things? I don't know, like doing a, just a drawing or mm. starting a business or having an idea for a business or mm. like pottery or something where my mum always used to say that when we were doing our house that she would tell some craftsman that we were helping us to do it, can you make it slightly imperfect? And some people didn't really get it and some people got it perfectly. So it's things like when you're doing mm. the plaster on the wall and you just make some little tiny mistakes so it's not perfect and that's what makes it human and it makes it warm. And do you think people are going to gravitate to towards that a bit? I hope that they will years. and I hope that we'll have more human creativity come out of more things being automated and more AI and more technology because I think that for too long education and society in general has marginalised creativity. That's what makes humans human and I think that will just that will continue. Yeah. As usual. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about. It is. And um so yeah our charity of the month is Code Your Future and the action of the month to go along with this is that we are going to find a class for coding and we're going to give it a go. That's amazing. I actually can't wait. That yeah. would be so cool to learn how to code or like I, try and learn I did how a to tiny code. bit of school but I hated the website that I created and then I just yeah. every other website I used to I've done do a lot of HTML codes when I was young and build websites on them. Yeah. I'm really excited. I think it'll be really really interesting to see yeah. how it all works. Absolutely. The third figure that we're going to talk about today is the cover of Forbes magazine which had Kylie Jenner as the cover when the Rich List came out and she was the 27th richest woman on the list with a fortune of 900 million dollars. Yeah. And the reason we're talking about this this week is particularly because of Jamila Jamil's interview Mm -hmm. in which she t discussed the Kardashians and she talked about how she feels that they are selling self-consciousness and that they are double agents of the patriarchy. And what that means is that they are getting women to trust them but actually sell us ideas and products that are damaging, i.e. the most obvious being those lollipops that suppress appetite, the fact that they are selling us this body image of, you know, hips curves whatever and actually they've fake eyelashes all plastic got surgery, plastic surgery. they've all got trainers they're all working out 100 hours a week that's not reality um and um, i also think that that the kylie jenner being on forbes magazine gave me two emotions the first one was yes woman first youngest billionaire ever i believe and the second was Okay, is she self-made? How self-made is she? That was going to be one of my questions. Because it is self-made millionaire, billionaires. Mm -hmm. Do you think that she's self-made? Yes. Uh, my reason for this is... There are several, probably hundreds, of children of very, very wealthy families or wealthy entities that do nothing with it. And that's fine. Some of them 
just live their life normally others you know do amazing as as you can right right or spend it on god you know horrendously luxurious lifestyle Mm. there are some that do incredible work with the money that they have you know uh, in building charities and foundations kylie has literally turned her the you know i guess the her share of the kardashian fame into a billion dollar entity mm. and that is actually and it's a makeup company incredibly inspiring yeah lip kit is what it started with you could question so many billionaires of whether mm. they're self-made or not because mm. so many people have but even people who are self-made and it's that rags to riches story everybody's always had people around them and collaborating and helping and this is what makes business brilliant is because it brings lots of people together and you all make it together so i think that label self-made can be quite misleading absolutely you know look at donald trump or warren buffett or like they're all gonna have assistance at some point Mm. that's how business works investment all of that sort of thing um i just think it is really cool that she you know is 20 well she's now 21 and that she is the youngest billionaire ever um again this is where the other paradox comes is she's also had lip fillers you know those aren't her real lips and yet she's selling us the ideal that the lip kit can do but you know advertising has been doing that for years yeah um also instagram is pretty much her main reason as to why she exists Mm. i think she's got 120 million followers and the most popular instagram photo Ever, ever in history was the photo of her baby girl Stormy. Yeah, right? I think the f- the top five. She's the top three. Oh, 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 in three of the top five of the most liked Instagram pictures ever, and they all involve her and Travis Scott mm. or her and Stormy. Mm. Um, she also kept her pregnancy a secret for such a long time. I think that was so clever and <clears throat> so right yeah i think that i think she was 19 when she got pregnant and she was only 10 when keeping up with the kardashians first came out i think Mm. and so her whole life almost has been so public and i think that she would have really enjoyed having this private space and kind of exciting announcement that she didn't have to share with the entire world until she wanted to yeah but equally that would have driven her sales up massively because Mm everyone was talking about it all the time there were pictures all the time mm-hmm. of her bump and you know of travis scott and i was with my young cousin uh when the video was released have you seen that video of her, uh, stormy yeah yeah well and she has old footage of her growing up and her mum yeah pregnant and and then her being pregnant and, then her and, being the, pregnant. and the scans and all of that i thought that was really beautiful mm. And I really, really, really don't follow the Kardashians. I don't think I've actually watched an episode from Mm. beginning to end. But I did watch that and I really enjoyed watching it because Mm. it makes you quite nostalgic and think about your own childhood and think about the parallels that we all have between different generations. And I thought that was really human and really special. Devil's Advocate, I think it glamorises young pregnancy um, a bit too much for me. Okay. Um, She's, I think she was 18 when she got pregnant it all seemed very lovely, flowers, happy. And obviously she's completely financially stable. She doesn't even yeah. need the father necessarily to be but involved equally, or I not or any of that sort nowadays of Nowadays there can be a huge amount of shame for young mothers because people don't expect it. And that obviously 50 years ago, 
loads of people oh, would have had I don't think it's necessarily about shame though I think it's I just about I the reality think, of I do think it is about shame I think there's a, a there's quite a lot of shame if you're in your early 20s and you get pregnant mm, but I think what but I don't think that was my point my point is that I think it glamorizes it in a sense of you know shame or no shame whether you have a child young or not um it's just like okay that is lovely that you know you've had a baby and all of this lovely footage and you know all we see is the lovely photos but there's no reality of motherhood there and she has millions and millions and millions and millions of young girls who are 15 16 17 who watch it and are just like oh that's fine like that's fine Mm. like I could do that and that's my point it's not about shame of the individual it's about actually the reality is that she is 19 and also nearly a billionaire um but you know it was her choice to make that video and that's absolutely fine i just thought that that was worth mentioning because i did watch it with my cousin and some of her friends and i think they definitely thought oh they were got that. excited oh, about it like that. yeah okay right yeah got you yeah um but the other thing i wanted to, to ask you about is the weird kind of irony in the fact that she is one of the youngest billionaires and that is such an achievement but that she's made her millions from makeup mm. which is exactly leading into this argument that Jamila was making that it's all about patriarchy and it's all about ideal sort of what women are and it's not about what's in their head and their ideas mm. and that part of a person it's much more it's all visual right and the makeup is exactly that it's right. all about being visual and then exactly as you say she's had lip fillers and then she's mm. and has she had other plastic surgery as well like i don't job know and... but i mean you know filters on instagram and that's not going to be what she actually looks like etc again to play devil's advocate though um Your and i guess it's, it's really not i'm i just i do want to just try and explore it from all angles I actually hate devil's advocate because no but it's, it's my boyfriend useful. Arthur does that with every single point I ever make and it really pisses me off um <laughs> no but it's useful but it is you want to be able to look at both sides right there's lots of gray areas go for it so my arguments in that is well okay yes it's makeup yes it's about the visual but there's always going to be a market out there because that is how some people like to make themselves feel better or feel beautiful or put on a game face or maybe the reason we do that is because of that sort of it's about what you look like it's about what you look like it's about what you weigh whatever Mm -hmm. but actually or you know we're talking about this with hair removal last week i don't understand why i'm so adamant about it maybe that's something that i've grown up personally yeah yeah. and yeah i think makeup for me is one, one of those things I yeah don't, i don't ever go out of the house if i haven't got right makeup. whereas i, I constantly I, wear no makeup i mean only wear makeup to work on the weekend i never wear makeup and even if i'm hungover yeah i will always put makeup on because mm. it makes me feel better and it gives me a lift and i enjoy mm. it and i don't wear very much and i wear exactly right. the same thing if right. i'm going to see my brother as if i'm going to go to a party like i right it doesn't really differ right. but it's just my Right. And the Way lip kit, you could argue, you know, a lot of people just love, you know, wearing lips or, you know, it's not about caking yourself with makeup. It's just that bit, that accessory that I think people, mm. especially, I noticed this, this is a weird comparison to draw from. And I don't even know if it's that relevant. But I remember when the crash in 2008, I remember in 2009, there were so many, I don't know, like this cupcake craze started. And I remember someone at the time saying, it's because it's, a little thing that someone can buy for themselves that's slightly luxury and slightly lovely, but it kind of makes them feel a bit 
better and it's not very expensive to just have and I think that's why she's been able to get into this market and that the lip kit is not expensive it's like $19 but because it's advertised so well and and it's got her behind marketed it. so well and it's got her behind it and mm. it's affordable because that's People the thing about her business. Yeah, and but that's the thing about her business that you've touched on just there is that it's not mm. just the product. She is the product. Yeah. And it's when you buy her makeup, you're buying a, a bit of her. And this But you're is, also buying this, something that's like quite luxurious. Yeah, no doubt. Totally. And nice because it's all packaged very well. Mm-hmm. It's so slick how it's marketed. Yeah. And that's the same with, you know, whether it's I don't know, cupcakes or really luxury small little items mm. that that's so clever how is they a, do that is there a female thing about that about this small smallness of it i think that's a really interesting element of that brilliant ted talk about we should all be feminists mm. that beyonce quotes, quotes in one of her songs mm. and how women are taught to shrink themselves yeah and there's something about like little things mm. and that if we just look we, we've got the image of the forbes cover on the screen she is sort of shrinking herself i know she's in an oversized suit yeah with huge shoulder pads she's not owning the space she looks like someone who's too young that's been wrapped in their dad's suit is the way that i would see it yeah but then in other photos she looks fantastic and is really yeah owning the space i think is the probably the best way to put that but i'd i'd love to have been a fly on the wall when they were looking at how to photograph her and how to put her on the cover i know because she's so, so young still she's so young she's only 20 i think she's just turned 21 so so young i know so with jamila interview and this phrase self-consciousness and double agents of the patriarchy mm. do you agree with that definition being put onto the kardashians i actually thought it was hit the nail on the head um i do like to watch the kardashians occasionally i probably i think i follow kylie or kendall or whatever um and for some reason i could never describe the feeling that i had about them I thought they were, like, consciously, I was like, yeah, they're great. I like that they have created this body image that isn't, you know, Cara Delevingne type. Mm -hmm. And that you can, you know, and also they're Armenian, so they're mixed race and they, you know, look gorgeous and all of this. And and I just felt really uncomfortable for a long time and I don't know why. And I Mm -hmm. think that's the reason. I think that it is selling they, they use, a false image. Yeah, really. and they're, they're using their platform to sell things which are damaging. Yeah. And they don't need the money to yeah. sell. They don't. If somebody was really, really poor and there was something that wasn't very moral for them to be selling, like these lollipops that suppress yeah. the ap- your appetite, the, it just doesn't stand as an argument. You mm. can't think that the Kardashians need more money and that's why they're doing these partnerships. Mm. And it's like they just have no... There's just no thought of what mm. is the impact on the millions of people that look up to me so much. Mm. And But then having said that, let's not forget that Kim Kardashian was able to release somebody in prison from her right. position no one is of... all good or all bad. Yeah. I think that their body type is just as unattainable, though, as someone who's stick thin. So, yeah. so I think it's unrealistic to um, hold them as... A role model and I think that she hit the nail on the head in the sense that they are double agents yeah god what a title though 
it's such a brilliant way to phrase it. It is I think, a brilliant way. And if you haven't listened to this entire interview, I really, really encourage you yeah. to because we'll there are so below. many brilliant elements of it. She talks about how hurtful airbrushing was when she first started doing modelling and mm. shoots and how they would make her paler because and they would change her nose to make it look more Caucasian. And it's just nobody nobody was able to run it past mm. her, nobody asked her, they just did it and then it's out. And I agree with her on airbrushing. I think that it is it has so much potential to really, really damage and it's so fake. And why do we why why should we have that? I think mm. At least the Again, conversation just, has started. But selling that, this fake glamorised... Right. And that's where... I think we need to talk about this in a different episode. But that's where Instagram really comes in. And that's where yeah, Instagram's... Filters and... Inst- just the Instagram culture yeah. in general is selling a fake ideal. Just, just showcasing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Figure Podcast. It's funny that this week, the three figures all ended up having so many links between them and the main theme was that they were neither here nor there neither good nor bad neither this or that and I think that's what really what the podcast is about is really looking at all of these issues and really analyzing them properly and actually nothing is really as it seems Um, and there are lots of gray areas although you could say there are lots of colorful areas and you see the world in color right so we'll be back next week with for another figures. another three figures I think we've got a very exciting episode next week featuring a very special guest but I'm going to leave that as a surprise um, in the meantime you can find us on Instagram where we'll have all the images from this week um, and Twitter both at figure podcast please come and say hello or leave a comment um, so many of you did that last week so thank you uh, you can also email us at thefigurepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we really appreciate all of your feedback and your reviews and your ratings. It really helps mm. other people find the podcast. And what I think we could do maybe in the future is if we get some cool uh, comments or ratings, we can read them out at the beginning of the episode. Definitely. And always up mind. for suggestions on figures that you'd like to hear our thoughts on. Until next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>